And uh, what a, I don't know if that doesn't get you excited. It gets me excited. I know that for sure. Um, to think about the fact that we are opening our mouths and what's coming out is worshiping God, is pleasing to God. Uh, that is a wonderful thing. Um, and I, I hope that you get excited. I get excited in doing that. And um, I know that um, we are, are to reverence God in his house, but we are also to glorify his name and to praise him. And uh, the Bible says to lift up holy hands as we worship and glorify his name. And um, he, whether that's uh, spiritual in your heart or whether that's literally physically raising your hands, whatever it is, may we truly worship God and have that uh, spirit of worship. Um, and you know, it's different. I know, um, you know, uh, I, I feel that God has gifted some people and that's why they're using their talents and that kind of thing. But, you know, we all fit into that verse that says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? And uh, some of us fit more onto the noise side uh, than uh, than onto the sing side. Uh, But that's okay. That's why that verse is there. It's to cover all the rest of us that, um, and I always say, I tell, you know, I tell everybody, if I can lead singing, nobody has an excuse, okay? All right. So um, I do not have the talent and ability that my wife has and Brother Josue and Brother uh, Samuel have and all these singers up here, even my brother Jason has a, a better voice than I do, but uh, we can sing and we can worship, we can lift up our voices, and uh, he is worthy of receiving that, right? At least, at least that. And so uh, if the least we can do is just uh, sing those truths and lift our voices together, uh, that is uh, enough for us to, to do that, and, and we should do that, right? And that's something that, that uh, is wonderful to do. Um, I pray that as our church continues to grow and as that spirit continues to expound, may we, may we come to be known as a true worshiping church that has a worshipful attitude, a worshipful heart in all that we do. In all that we do, um, that's something that's, uh, that's powerful. Go with me to Matthew chapter 12 is where we're going to start this morning. And forgive me, this will now be my second message, and um, the, the mouth's running dry. So uh, I might have to sip some of that water from time to time. But Matthew chapter 12. The title of my message, and you don't have notes this morning, I, I, I want to um, just share with you um, a perspective. Um, we're going to talk about Jesus and the Sabbath. And we're going to talk about how a Jesus' perspective on the Sabbath is a, an example, a foreshadow of so many other truths that Jesus uh, 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 laid out in his earthly ministry. And, and we're going to find uh, the protagonist and the antagonist of this story. Uh, we're going to find that the Pharisees uh, had a misconstrued understanding of the law, of, of what Jesus was coming to do on this earth, and, and who Jesus was altogether. Um, so much so that obviously it led to uh, them at the end of uh, three and a half years of his ministry wanting to crucify him and ultimately ultimately fulfilling that desire of wanting to kill Jesus. Um, basically from the beginning they had that desire but and all the way through but they finally found a way to do it um, uh, only in God's timing and way God wanted but uh, in their minds they did it and so um, but uh, so many things that the Pharisees misconstrued and then we see Jesus. Jesus um, God in, in the flesh. The fulfillment of the plan of God of redemption, and, and, and we see here that through this story, we're going to see so much of that truth unveiled. The Sabbath. Anybody know where the Sabbath came from? Where, where did the Sabbath come from? Where do, we, where do we get the idea of the Sabbath? I'm asking a real question. So yeah, yeah. They're like, is that rhetorical? No, no, no. It's real. It's real. 
Genesis, thank you. Thank you, Cecilia. Thank you. Uh, Genesis, right? If you go to Genesis, well, we don't have to go, but in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about how the Sabbath day was um, at the end of six days of creation. God established, he rested, and he established this day so that his creation could take a moment to reflect on their creator, on the fact that they were inferior because they were the creation, and that they should take a moment to reflect upon the creator. And that's what we find. And then in Exodus chapter 20, uh, we find also this laid out in verses 8 through 11 that the Bible uh, instructs the children of Israel, or God uh, through Moses instructs the children of Israel to remember God as their creator. To remember, unlike the heathen nations that were around them, they were to take this moment to reflect on who God was, the creator of who God was, and and the creator component of God. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, we find that God... uh, instructs the children of Israel to observe that day as as the, the fact that that was part of the uh, worshiping of God as the redeemer. He had redeemed them out of Egypt. He had come to rescue his people. And so this day was a day to reflect on that redemptive reality, on the creator God being a force in their life. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3 reminds us that the letter of the law leads to death, but that the spirit of law brings life. See, in the New Testament, we find a new covenant of salvation by faith and grace of God in Christ is what truly saves. And so what happens through the three and a half years of Jesus's earthly ministry is that so much of the religious leadership of the time, who is what the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, they were misconstruing, misapplying, misunderstanding, misinterpreting what the spirit of what the Mosaic law was all about. And the Sabbath was one of those aspects and one of those components where so much was being missed. See, they had found a way to turn a day of rest, a day of reflecting on the creator, a day of reflecting on the redemptive work of God. In their case, a future redemptive work. In our case, a past redemptive work. And they had misapplied it and misconstrued it to the point that they had made it a burden on the people. And we'll study more in depth about that. Uh, but look with me, if you will, just a few verses before chapter 12 of uh, verse 1 of Matthew. Look back just uh, three verses to chapter 11 and verse 28. It says this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? And I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find what? And ye shall find what? Rest unto your souls. For my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is what? Light. This is important for the context of what's about to come in chapter 12 and on. Is that Jesus is trying to reveal, hey, you know, the religious, uh, the religiosity of the day and what has happened to what um, Moses intended through the Mosaic law, what God intended, excuse me, through the law. Uh, you have converted it and perverted it to become this heavy burden. And now the children of Israel, they look at the law as that slave master, as that weight that is put upon them. And all the whole time, the intent of the law was to 
point them to their ineptitude, to their inability to fulfill those things. But the Pharisees, they had taken that as a challenge as to what they were going to do to show God that they were worthy of redemption, to show God that they were worthy of holiness placed upon them. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he shakes it up. He changes things completely. So let's give some attention to chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8. And before we do that, let's pray and ask for God's blessing because then I'm just going to flow. And we're just going to flow through about three or four um, different uh, uh, contexts, three uh, three or four different uh, phrases in the Bible or passages in the Bible that talk about Jesus' approach to the Sabbath and how that instructs us in so many different areas of our daily Christian life and how we need to be careful to which way of the pendulum we are sliding because there are some important thoughts that Jesus lays out that are, were important for the Pharisees to learn from, which they didn't. It was also to instruct his disciples, which they did. And then they left it, he left it eternally in his word for us to be able to learn from as well. And so we want to do that this morning. So let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness and bringing us to this point. Lord, I thank you for mercy on my life and grace. Father, I am undeserving to be behind this pulpit were it not for your grace and your mercy on my life. I pray, Father, that as I seek to share what you've laid in my heart, that it would be a blessing to the listeners and that it would be something for all of us to grow. And we each be challenged in our lives. May your spirit do the work in every life as only you can do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 1. It's important as we look at this to understand that what Jesus was seeking to do was to bring clarity and to bring direction into the life. You are here this morning, and we are here this morning not as part of a religious experience, not a ritual. You know, there's a lot of religions out there that speak or teach that these rituals will get you to such and such a point. No, this is merely an exercise in mutual learning and growing, okay? The the, the teacher this morning is not Pastor John. The teacher this morning is God's Word, and God guiding us through his spirit. And this morning, my desire is that that would be what would be accomplished together. Now, you had an extra hour of rest. Don't look so bitter. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. We rested a little bit more. Praise God. Time change, right? That was good. That's a good thing. Um, but the bad part of it is that your stomach right now thinks it's lunchtime. And I know that, all right? I already heard the rumbling and the grumbling, and mine does as well. So we're going to try and get through this quickly. Verse number one, Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went on, what was the day? The Sabbath day through the corn. And his disciples were unhungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. So here it is. Here's here's the scenario, okay? Jesus and his disciples, uh, they were leaving from their house. Where was their house at? Nobody knows? That's right, nobody knows. We're usually in a tent somewhere, setting up camp somewhere, okay? And this morning... It was the morning, more than likely it's a Sabbath, so more likely they were going to make their way to the temple. 
Uh, I don't know if that morning they had spent time in prayers and in, in seeking God's face. I don't know what they had done that morning, maybe listening to an early uh, Sunday school class from Jesus or whatever the case may be, but they might have gotten their coffee, but they didn't have breakfast. So they're on their way to church, and like many of us, you know, they're on their way to church, and they're like, man, I'm hungry. And, uh, and so they're on their way, and lo and behold, along the way, there's these cornfields. And so they're like, hey, sweet, here we go. And just to be clear, they weren't stealing because a lot of times this was known uh, that for those that didn't have provision, they would leave the corners of the field. This was an Old Testament principle, the corners of the field so that uh, the one that was needy, the one that was poor, which teaches us that more than likely that's where the disciples were on the the, uh, scale of things, um, could go through the corners of the field and get some things, right? But what was not allowed according to the, the law of Moses was you were not allowed to harvest on Sunday. That, that was the, the, the letter of the law was you're not allowed to harvest on Sunday. But the disciples, they were hungry and they're walking through. And so here they decide to grab some breakfast along the way. So they stop by the nearest McDonald's. I'm just kidding. Uh, they stop by the field and they grab the corn, right? But he said unto them, this is Jesus now speaking unto the Pharisees. Have ye not read what David did when he was a hungered? And they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Or have you not read the law how that on the Sabbath days, the priests, excuse me, verse number six, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you, had not, if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Man, some great truths being shared here from Jesus. As he begins to share with um, what's going on, he begins to share and to, to reveal that what's taking place here is so misconstrued by the Pharisees. You see, what Jesus is sharing is the spirit of the law. Jesus is demonstrating to him, to them, that uh, in their way of looking at the law, there was a way in which they thought that through human invention and through human strength, they were going to fulfill what God commanded of them. And yet, Jesus was continually showing them in this and many other circumstances how that they could never humanly keep the law and that the law was merely there to show them their ineptitude, their inability uh, to be able to fulfill and to meet the mark of God, but that through Jesus, the law was going to be fulfilled and completed. And then all that was left of man to do was to be in Jesus. And how does one become in Jesus? But through accepting Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us on the sin, for our sins on the cross. So Jesus lays out for them the spirit behind what was Moses's law. He shows them how even their great heroes, which David would have been one of the great heroes of the Pharisees, uh, obviously one of the great kings of, of, of Israel, and, and, and one of the foundational components of, of, of who they, their, their legacy comes from. And he demonstrates to them how there was an occasion on which he violated the principle, but not the greater spirit of the law. 
And so here we find this reality. You say, Pastor John, okay, so, so how does this affect me? Well, it affects us in realizing what is it that in my life I am not understanding about Scripture. What is it about the spirit of what God's trying to teach me continually? Am I misapplying for my own gain and for my own purposes? Are there aspects of my life that I am relying on my own strength to fulfill the works of my Christian life and I am not relying on God's work and on God's spirit to do a work in me? See, these uh, Pharisees had been able to come up with many different ways in which they could fulfill um, not only keeping the Sabbath, but they had added 39 man-made rules regarding the Sabbath. You see, they literally had added on the Sabbath a certain amount of rules that you couldn't take more than X amount of steps from your house because if you did that, then you were violating the Sabbath. And then they made rules about eating and cooking and things like that, things that, that, that God had not said, but that they felt they needed to add in order to be able to uh, have a higher standing in and of themselves. And Jesus comes on the scene And he tears down some of that ceremonial law perspective that they had. He comes down and he tells them that that is uh, the oral tradition that they had misinterpreted was a misapplication of the true purpose of the Sabbath law. The reality was is that the Sabbath law was to reveal that there was a moment of rest coming. You see... That day of rest that in Genesis had been established. You say, you mean that God, from the time that he established that Sabbath, he was thinking of the fact that there was going to come a day when there was going to be a spiritual rest for all mankind that hadn't even been created yet? Yes, because the Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for redemption. And so what the Sabbath meant to do, it meant to show mankind that there was a true rest coming, a rest that was going to bring a one-of-a-kind rest, a rest that was going to bring a true peace and was going to bring true joy, that through what was taking place, there was going to be the peace that only God can bring. And that was the true purpose of the Sabbath. It was to reveal the rest that was coming, the rest through Jesus Christ. Oh, may God help us as we examine our perspective that we not begin to put burden where, they're meant to, where God meant there to be blessing. See, when we misapply the law, we begin to place burden where God meant to put blessing. His redemptive work was meant to bring grace and life. And that burden, according to Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, was meant to be light and easy because it wasn't going to be carried in our own strength. It was going to be carried through Jesus Christ who had done all the work for us. You with me this morning? We're, we're, we're there? You guys good? So Jesus was trying to show this to the Pharisees. He was trying to reveal something Verse number six begins another great point for us to examine in Matthew 12. It says, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Man, 
I can, if you would imagine the Pharisees, uh, this is the little cartoon where, you know, the little red, the red stuff starts raising and then, you know, smoke starts coming out. He tells the Pharisees who had made of the temple the most amazing sacred place. And it was to a certain extent. And he tells them this phrase because once again, he's trying to demonstrate to them a difference a different spirit, a different attitude. He was trying to show them that what this was was a foreshadow of what was to come. Even the temple itself was, was just a foreshadow. How, how? Why is that? What does he mean? What does he mean in verse number six when he say, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Well, here's what Jesus was saying. Elian, I'm going to borrow you, dude. Jump up here, man. Don't be embarrassed. You're good. Um, so here's, here's, what, here's, what, here's what Jesus was saying, literally. Jesus was saying, come over here. Man, you're getting bigger. Um, Jesus was saying, look, in the Old Testament, my spirit dwelt in that holy of holies. And wherever that holy of holies went, there was I, Okay. And that temple was a sacred temple because that's where God's spirit dwelt. And then when he says there is one greater than the temple was because what was standing in front of them was the son of God who was going to come and die on the cross. And on the third day, he was going to rise. And then 40 days later, he was going to ascend to heaven. And when he ascended to heaven, he was going to send his spirit. And where his spirit dwelt, that was going to be the temple of God. And do you know where that spirit dwells? It dwells in the life and in the heart of every believer. And now, yes, I love these four walls and this roof. And it's a beautiful place where we gather to worship and grow together. But do you realize that this is not the temple of God? This is. Church doesn't end when we dismiss in 20 minutes. It ends. It never ends because it continues on. The church is us and we leave this and the church goes with us because his spirit is in us. And now that spirit of the law where that, that uh, need for sanctification and holiness of that place is now placed on us. And now we guard our lives against sinful practices and we try to honor God with what we do with our body because this is, according to Corinthians, the temple of the living God. Thank you. Let's give Eliana a round of applause. Good job, Eliana. You did a good job. You guys are not clapping this one. Let's clap. Let's clap. Here we go. Here we go. All right. All right. Good. Going to have to do a practice clapping session here. He wanted them to know that this just like the Sabbath was meant to reveal something else, it was just a foreshadow of something else. Even the temple itself was a foreshadow of something else. There was something greater than the temple. It was the fact that the living God was going to dwell in his creation. Verse number seven reveals us another truth. And this is all I'm going to do. I'm just going to reveal some truths from these passages and we'll be done here this morning. Verse number seven says, but if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You see, the Sabbath of the Mosaic law taught them to forbid themselves of certain things, to 
to discipline and sacrifice certain things that they could do. But the spirit behind it was to reveal to them that there was a mercy coming to where they fell short and every one of them fell short because Jesus will show them in different passages how that when it came to their own thing, they were willing to break the Sabbath for their own profit, for their well-being. But they weren't willing to have mercy on somebody that needed a little bit of food on their way to temple and they hadn't had nothing to eat and they needed to grab an ear of corn on the way there but they weren't willing to have mercy there and God said you're violating the Sabbath and the true spirit of it because you're misapplying what the whole intent of it was just like you don't understand what this temple is really about it's not about that sacred holy of holies it's about the fact that the spirit of God needs somewhere to dwell And he would love to dwell inside of you and inside of you. But unless in a few years I go to that cross and die and I take your sins with me and I go and I am in that tomb for three days and I rise again, you can never have the spirit of God dwelling in you. But then he fulfilled the law. He completed what we could never complete. And now he offers to us the ability and the privilege to be indwelt with his spirit that is why his burden is light that is why his yoke is easy oh dear friend this morning i pray that god would help us to see the need for that to see what it is he puts as a priority go with me to luke chapter 14 luke chapter 14 and we're going to run here because i know time is slipping away luke chapter 14 and verse number one Luke 14 and verse number 1. It says this in verse number 1 of Luke 14. And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day. What day was it? Sabbath day. That they watched him. By the way, you'll notice this in... Matthew chapter 12, as well as you'll notice here in Luke chapter 14. What, what did it seem that one of the number one jobs the Pharisees thought that they had? To watch them, right? God help us to eradicate that attitude from our hearts. God help us to eradicate that spirit from among us as a church. You know what? I, I tell people all the time, oh, did you hear? Did you see so-and-so? I say, no, I'm too busy looking at my life. There's way too much I've got to fix in my life to notice what so-and-so did. Here, here, look at what the Pharisees, and on the Sabbath day, they watched him. Oh, may that spirit not be something that dwells in us. Verse number two says, and behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace and he took him and healed him and let him go. And answering them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? He says, If you have a donkey that's fallen into a well, if you have a cow, one of your cows that's fallen into a well, you have, because out of your own desire for your own things, you have a little caveat that says, Oh, we can, we can help him. We can do something to him because it benefits 
me. I, I can rescue that, that, from, that donkey from drowning because if it falls into a well and I say, well, it's the Sabbath. I got to wait 14 hours until it's not the Sabbath and then I'll rescue him. Uh, he'll be dead by then. He will have drowned in the well. So I'm going to rescue him now. Uh, they justified that. But healing somebody who was sick with the power of God, that was sin to them. Misapplication, misinterpretation of the spirit of what God was trying to teach and show. These Pharisees were so entrenched in their 39 man-made Sabbath traditions that they had failed to see the essence of the Sabbath. That there was no law against healing, against helping, and, and forbidding to perform deeds of mercy on the Sabbath. What if, what if it was your son, Jesus asked? What if it would have been something that they would, uh, needed something rescuing in that moment? What would you have done? You would have rescued them. You would have done what was necessary. You would have reached out and healed them and helped them. You know what the amazing thing was is that through that power of healing, it was the, the one statement, the one aspect that the Pharisees just could not answer. When the common folk would see Jesus, hear what he was saying, they would say, we believe him. And, and, and they would have some doubt. But when Jesus healed when he revealed the power of God in him to heal, there was no question in them. And the Pharisees could contradict what he was saying and could bring up uh, their, their, their exemptions for why he was wrong and what he was saying. But when it came time for him to reveal the power that he had through healing, they had no answer. They had no answer. Because God was with him. You know, I'm thankful for a church that is sensitive to the working and the spirit of God. Because when we follow what God is doing, there is no answer to that. There's no rebuttal to that. And we have seen in these days people saved, people baptized. We've seen a church that has grown and has a heart for missions, has a heart for seeing people saved, that has seen God be able to take us through dark waters and still continue on for the cause of Christ. We, we, we are continuing to see God do great things. And that's only through the work of His Spirit. And there's no rebuttal to that. There is not. Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath to show that the deeds of mercy, the works of the Sabbath are not about these man-made rules that they had, but it was something greater. It was that they could see that there was truly, these are the works of the Sabbath. It's to bring rest. It's to bring peace. It's to bring joy. It's to bring redemption. It's for us to take a moment to pause out of the labor of life. Six days shall you labor, but on the seventh day, you're going to rest. You're going to take a moment. And yeah, humanly speaking, that rest is is so temporary but there's coming an eternal rest there is coming a true spiritual rest and all the sabbath does is it reveals a, a glimpse of that reality but the real reality comes when you place your faith and trust in god and all that burden that you were carrying all that guilt that you were carrying it comes to that feet of that cross and you lay it down there and now there truly is sabbath in your heart there truly is rest there truly is that ability. The, the Pharisees had invented human ways in which they could maintain the Sabbath, but in the same way that they were totally unable to bring physical healing, their hardened hearts were unable to show mercy. The Pharisees lacked love, the mercy, and the power to accomplish what Jesus, what Jesus did. And they recognized that no one but God could heal that in the way that Jesus did, and it angered them. It angered them. 
Go with me to John chapter 5 as our time slips away. John chapter 5 and verse number 1. I'm going to lead, read this portion. It's a great story and it just gives us a good understanding. <clears throat> it says this in verse number 1 of John 5. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of important folk of blind, uh, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the waters. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the waters stepped in was made whole of whatever disease they had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity for 38 years. How long did he have an infirmity? 38 years. I will be 41 years old here in just a few years. A few days, excuse me. Man, I wish it was a few years. Um... Three weeks, more or less. Um, I can't imagine what burden this was for this man. 38 years sick. And the only hope he had is he's laying down on his bed, on his sleeping bag, next to this pool, the pool of Bethesda. And here, every now and then, at a random period so nobody could cheat, the angel would ruffle the waters And as soon as that happened, they knew the next person in the pool was going to get healed. So everybody was diving in. Uh, Everybody was jumping in, right? But obviously this guy is sick. He's, He's lame. He can't move. So by the time he squiggled his way into there, at great expense physically, he wouldn't be the first one in and he wouldn't be healed. The story goes on. Verse number Six, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus said unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked And on the same day was the what? Sabbath. Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. If we were in a movie, all right, that would be the the sound effects that would follow. Cue the wonderful watchers of the people, right? Here we go. Here here comes the watchers, verse number 10. The Jews, therefore, which the Jews is speaking here of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. The Jews, therefore, said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to what? Okay. Where was the guy at? He was at the pool of Bethesda, which is close to the temple. And, and, and here, this is a, a path that these Pharisees would have walked by many times, right? How long had the guy been there? 38 years he had been with this sickness and probably being close to that pool. These Pharisees had seen him there. They had seen him be crippled. They had seen him be lame. And here he is standing before them healed. But what's important to them? That he's got his sleeping bag rolled up and is carrying his bed. Because that is against the rules of the Sabbath. Do you see the spirit? 
Do you see the attitude that is revealed here as they are looking at their man-made Sabbath traditions and using them as a whipping stick against the people and what was meant to be the blessing of the Sabbath, a day to look upon your creator, to worship the redemptive work of God upon you was made by the Pharisees to be this overbearing burden upon the people of God's people of Israel. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, no, no, no. That was not what was meant by the law of Moses. That's not what was meant by the spirit of that law. It was a a day to give the foresight of the rest that was to come. The Pharisees invented human ways of fulfilling the Sabbath, which could be accomplished humanly. But Jesus was actually displaying God's very character of love and mercy and power. He was revealing to the Pharisees, this is the heart of God. That people would be cured, would be healed. That people would find rest. And that in the midst of that, they would look and turn to Jesus Christ. That they would see that Jesus was working. That he was doing something among them. Oh, let's go on. It says there in verse number um, Verse number 11, he answered them and he said, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. And then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterwards, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. I want to clarify here, um, Jesus isn't threatening the man, okay? Here's what Jesus is doing in that verse that that says what it says. He's saying, look, I made you physically better. Uh, I I, I solved your physical problem. But be very mindful that you are watching what is happening in your heart. Because you see, if you violate the true spirit of what's happening here, if you don't turn away from your sin, then you might be whole your whole life and you can run up and down the streets of Jerusalem and you can show how you're physically better. But there will come a day where you will stand before almighty righteous God. And if you don't get your heart right, then something worse is going to come. What is that? something worse it is the 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 death of a of a person without christ separated from god for all eternity and having to suffer for their own sins and jesus was wanting to make sure that that man understood that the true rest and the true healing that he ultimately needed would be only found in jesus christ so jesus says unto him these things then verse number 15 says the man departed and told the jews that it was jesus which had made him whole And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus. They pursued after him. They wanted to bring him down. The fact that he was healing people, the fact that he was doing some powerful works, uh, the fact that he was saying these things was enough that the religious leaders, they hated him enough because he was violating their man-made traditions, their oral arguments of their own perspective. What they had defined to be a religious approach had been completely ransacked by Jesus. And Jesus wanted them to know that that was the whole, they were, viola- they were violating the whole spirit of what the Father wanted. It says in verse number 16, and therefore they did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. Like I said, that doesn't stop. All of Jesus' ministry, this is towards the beginning, all of Jesus' ministry doesn't stop. They wanted to kill him. Till three and a half years later, they did. Only when God wanted them to. 
Because he had done these things on what? On the Sabbath day. You violated our framework. And Jesus says, you're violating my Father's framework entirely. You don't understand love and mercy and compassion. Where is your compassion? This is a guy you saw lame for 38 years. And rather than rejoicing that his life has been miraculously changed in that moment, rather than rejoicing in the healing that has taken place in him, you're concerned about the fact that he's taking up his sleeping bag on the Sabbath and walking away made whole. God help us as a church to not have that spirit to examine ourselves as we examine Jesus on the Sabbath. Verse number 17 says, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Work. Jesus was about the Father's work. What was the Father's work? The Father's work was not in creating the world anymore because he had accomplished that in six days. But here, what work was he talking about? It was a work of saving, of providing, of preserving, of protecting, of upholding the world. Jesus as God's mediator of the new covenant, as the king of glory. Jesus was working to bring the Mosaic law to completion. And in a few years from that moment, he was going to complete it by allowing himself to be that propitiation to be that sacrifice to be that perfection and in in our place uh, our our ineptitude our shortcomings were going to be erased and put to the side and the perfection of Jesus through his spirit was going to be placed upon us and truly the rest that the Sabbath was pointing towards was going to be the rest that was going to be received and I invite you this morning to ponder and to think about whether or not you've received that rest can you, can you point to a calendar? Can you point to a day? Can you point to an event, to a moment where that rest became your rest? Where you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you realized that, that that work that his father was about and that he was about was the work of regenerating, of cleansing and cleaning the heart of man. And he was going to do all that was necessary to do that. This morning there was a young uh, a lady that did exactly that. Understood her need for that redemptive work to be made real in her life. She placed her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How about you this morning? Can you remember a, mo- a moment in your life where God's work of his saving, providing, preserving, protecting, upholding you with his hand can be made manifest in you? God help us to have that attitude. God help us to see the Sabbath the way Jesus did. An opportunity to reveal, to show, and to glorify God for the creation, for what He is, for who He is as a creator. To glorify God for the work of redemption that He's done in us. Then to be compassionate and full of mercy. The works and the deeds of the Sabbath are to be generous, to be merciful, to be loving and kind towards others. Oh, we can come to church with our noses stuck up, but you know what? That's not fulfilling the Sabbath. And you can put on your holiest garments, but that's not completing the Sabbath. What the the spirit of the Sabbath was, was a day of rest, a day of rejoicing, a day of mercy, compassion, seeking those that were lost and in need, poor, lame, who needed to find the healing that only God could bring and sharing that with them. Oh, Jesus, he transformed the process, the thought of the Sabbath. May God challenge us with that truth this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for your truth, for your word. Father, I know these were words and 
meditations from different passages that I pray, Father, would just stir our hearts to examine our attitude towards those around us. Father, may we not take the wrongful place of being the judges of the earth and realize that we are your ambassadors on this earth for your mercy, for your compassion. Lord, there's a world out there full of the weight of their sinful lives, boiled up guilt that they're walking around with. And here we are having access to the Sabbath, to the rest. Father, and so many times we're like the Pharisees. We're more concerned about them walking around with their rolled up sleeping bag than we are with the fact that God has done a redemptive work in their life. I pray you'd work in my life this morning, Father. You would bring a burden in our life to be more compassionate, to share that truth, and that we would see you work in a mighty way. Father, I pray for somebody here this morning that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, you died on the cross for their sins because you love them and you want to provide rest for them. But so far in this life, they have walked around with the weight of sin on their shoulders. And this morning, you extend the invitation so that they may find rest, true rest, in the forgiveness of their sins by the indwelling of you in their lives. I pray, Father, that you would work in somebody's heart this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Perhaps this morning you say, Pastor John, that's me this morning. I've come to this place, and I don't know that I've ever accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't know that Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. I don't know about that rest. I feel the weight of that sin. I feel the weight of that guilt. I need that Sabbath. I need that rest. And this morning, I'd like Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to know that God is working in your heart and that you'd like to make that decision. I'm just going to pray for you by raising your hand. That's all you're doing this morning is just letting me know that I want to pray for you, that you want to accept Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins. If you've never done that, then I'd like to pray for you. Like that young lady this morning that did that, maybe you as well are there. Perhaps this morning you say, Pastor John, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Boy, the spirit of the Sabbath in my life reminds me a little bit more of the Pharisees than it does of Jesus. That heart of compassion, that heart of mercy, that heart of needing to share that rest with others, it's not been there the way it should. And this morning, God has spoken to me about that need. Would you pray for me, Pastor John? I I need to get some things right in my life when it comes to that in my life. Is there somebody like that this morning that say, that's me? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else say, that's me this morning? God bless you. Anybody else that says, that's me this morning? That spirit needs to be inside of me. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? So that's me this morning. Praise God for it. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness for us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would do the work and take these words and these passages and apply them to every life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.